This week we're continuing our series on Abraham, believing and obeying. Brian kicked us off last week talking about the initial step of belief. Essentially when God calls, right, if you could imagine God gives you a phone call or something like that. When God calls and you hear his voice, when you hear his, his leading, what's that initial step of belief look like? And really, just to summarize it real quick, and I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it, um, but believing God means that you act promptly, right? You don't just sit on what he's called you to do. You, you act promptly. Believing God means that you trust God to cover your losses because there will be losses. We can't kid ourselves. There will be losses when you choose to answer God's call. And then believing God often means leaving something behind, something important behind. Because again, if God is calling you to something, how can you go and follow him if you're not willing to leave where you are? So those are the three big points of, of that initial point of belief. And this week, we're gonna continue this talk, this message on belief, but we're gonna go into that next step of what does it look like to continue believing? After you've answered the call, after you've started taking those few steps, what does it look like to continue believing? Because... Following God takes continual belief. So I wanted to share a little bit of my story just because I think it's applicable. And um, I'm not sure if I've ever really had a chance to share some of my story, some of the big, broader uh, things, the trajectories of my life and how God has worked in my life. So I thought I'd share a little bit about that. Um, I felt called to ministry when I was 18. Um, and if you don't know, I, I, I came to faith a little bit later. I wasn't raised in church. I came to faith when I was 16 right here um, Rock Creek Church was my first church, and my faith blossomed here. It was amazing. And I, I learned very quickly. And when I was 18, uh, the youth pastor at the time asked me to take a year off of school and intern with him. And I didn't know what that meant because, again, I had only been a Christian for two years. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. Um, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at that point yet. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. It feels good. So, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take it a year off and an intern with you. Well, <clears throat> May came along, I'm getting ready to graduate, and he pulls me aside and says, hey, Alex, I'm uh, leaving the church and I'm leaving the state. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what does that mean for my internship? And he's like, I don't know. So <laughs> initially, I feel like I'm answering God's call and that's just gone. I'm like, what the heck happened? So uh, praise, praise Jesus, I talked to the executive pastor at the time and we still worked it out. I interned for a year here at Rock Creek Church, and throughout that year, God continually put on my heart in different ways. Not only do I want you, all of you, I want your job. And it, it was gradual, it happened many, many different times throughout that year, so finally I gave in and said, okay, I don't know what that looks like, but I guess I should probably go to college for ministry. So I ended up going to Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, and uh, got a, an undergrad degree in theology, and it was an incredible, incredible experience, and I felt for four years, like I was continually stepping into what God had for me. That God's called me into ministry. That's what I would tell people. I feel like God's called me into ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm just gonna keep walking. And I get toward the end of my, my degree, I'm getting ready to graduate there and start realizing, oh, I should start looking for a church job, I guess. Um, so as I started looking, a job just fell in my lap. And it was for a very, very small church down in Denver back where I grew up in Colorado. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. And uh, very much felt like God was in it. Got to work with some, some people that are very, very near and dear to my heart. But it was a very, very small church and uh, moved out here, moved out of state. I, I was considering staying there, but I, I moved states yet again. It was still not quite in my hometown. And we got down there and it was hard. It was hard. It was a great experience and I learned and, and God moved in some good ways. But 10 months later, we ended up closing down that church. And so again, you think, here I am feeling like, oh, God, you've called me to this. And my first experience 
in ministry is a failure. And whatever I, and I didn't really think that, but you know, there's those times where I'm like, whatever I did, I just killed a church. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not a good step. So, um, but anyway, all that to say is, is the way that God's worked in my life is amazing, I think in major part because of those failures, because of those instances where, where God led me somewhere and I felt very clearly he was leading me and then everything just fell out from underneath me. And I was forced to believe in him all over again and question and, and wrestle with, okay, God, do you, did you really call me to this in the first place? And I will say this, I don't wanna raise up a calling in a ministry as being higher than any other calling because we're all called to something. So let me throw that out there too. There's, there's a general call for every single believer. We're all called to follow Jesus, all of us, period. That's a general calling. Then each and every one of us has an individual calling. It may be lifelong. You may be called to be a teacher. You may be called to be an engineer. You may be called to something. Or your callings might be very temporal. It might be God wants, is calling you for a season to go, I don't know, be a missionary. I mean, that's, that's something that not many people do lifelong necessarily. So, but, but God might call you to something very specific for a time. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But that was my calling. So as we get into this week about what does it look like to continue in faith, I just wanna point this out. The reality of faith is that it's hard. The reality of following Jesus is that it's hard and belief is required ongoingly. We, uh, we have a tendency to treat faith or belief as a one-time event. We're really good at this in the evangelical church. You know, we point this out with the gospel, right? If you just believe and receive what Jesus has for you, he died for your sins on the cross, he rose again on the third day so that you can have new life with him. Like we boil it down to this one, one event. And that, yes, that event is important, but that's not the whole picture. It requires ongoing faith for the rest of your life. We continue to have to believe because it would be really nice if this whole Christ walk thing was nice and simple and straightforward and God told you six, seven, eight steps down the line what it's gonna look like and he would tell you exactly how your life was gonna play out and if, if you follow me here and make this choice and this is gonna happen, God doesn't really do that. At least not in my, my experience. Because ultimately, what would that mean? That would mean that you're walking by sight and not by faith. God doesn't really show you things down the line very often. He might show you something way, way down the line you're calling, right, or something much, much bigger, a vision, but he might not show you how you're gonna get there. So it requires us to have faith, and it's, it's not easy. The first point I wanna make this is, is God never promises us an easy life. He never promises us an easy life after you come to faith. We cannot hold God to a promise that he didn't make. And unfortunately, personally, this is where I see a lot of people's faith get derailed. When people start walking away or questioning or doubting or wrestling or getting angry with God, sometimes it's because we're trying to hold him to a promise he didn't make. Jesus never once said, oh, come follow me and your life will be peachy. Come follow me and you will never have another worry or a fear in your life. He's, he tells us not to worry, but he doesn't say that there won't be worries. So we can't hold God to promises he didn't make. So let's get to our passage. Um, if you would stand, if you're able, Hebrews 11. Brian covered verse eight, we'll read it anyway, just for context. But Hebrews 11, eight through 10. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. 
he went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. So you can have a seat. So we're gonna focus on verses nine and 10. Brian covered verse eight last week, nine and 10. Even when he reached the land that God promised him. Sometimes we breeze right over that. Abraham reached the promised land. He got there. That wasn't the end of the story. It says, even when he got there, he lived there by faith. Why did he have to live there by faith? Didn't God just fulfill his promise? No, it wasn't done yet. It says, he was like a foreigner, living in tents. You realize, when he got there, when Abraham got there, God gave him the land, but it wasn't his yet. He got there, and he knew, this is the land that God promised me. I'm here. But there were still other people living there. It wasn't his yet. God gave him the land, but his home, his city, his family, his legacy, none of that was built. He stepped into God's promise and God answered, but there was, there was a lot more work to be done. God doesn't just hand you his promises, nice, full, complete, ready to unwrap and enjoy forever. He just doesn't do that. He gives you a calling, he gives you a vision, and he helps you get there. It's gonna take a long, long, long time because God is a God of process. So this was hard. Abraham had to live in the, in the land by faith. He had to continue believing. And so did <clears throat> his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, if you didn't know that, son and grandson. So several generations, and it was not fully fulfilled. So what I, I wanna point this out, um, my first point, I'm gonna hang on this for a little while, so, so uh, just so you're aware. First point is if you're going to continue in faith, if you've already answered the call and you've already started, if you're going to continue, you need to expect it to be hard. And this sounds simple, but this is so, so important for us to get. You, you have to expect it to be hard. Because too often we live in a world that loves ease. We love security. We love things just to, just to happen and pe things to fall in our laps. We love that. And too often we let the way that the world works and thinks influence the way we think. And we think, oh, wouldn't it be great if God just did fill in the blank and forget that God would much rather have us make that happen? Yeah, it would be great if God could just reverse the fires and bring all these houses back. That would be great, that would be really easy. But I think God cares so much more about how his church is going to respond in this season to care for people, to love, for, love people, to, to walk with them as they have lost everything. God cares about what's happening now. He cares about the process. And there are countless New Testament passages that tell us this. I'm just gonna pick one. First Peter chapter four, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> Peter writes, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Just don't be surprised. 
He uses this, like, some really strong language, this fiery ordeal that has come upon you. I don't know what, what uh, they were actually dealing with, but he says, don't be surprised. It's not, it's not something strange that's happening to you. Don't be surprised. We never, no one ever promised you that this wasn't gonna happen. And then the command comes in verse 13. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. For you, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He's, he is specifically talking here about things that you suffer for following Jesus. If you've ever made a decision to follow Jesus and answer that call and take steps forward and it's cost you something, that's what he's talking about. If someone has ever insulted you or if you've lost friends or family members or if people don't wanna hang around you anymore because you're too obnoxious, obviously you shouldn't just go out and try to be obnoxious, but I'm just saying, there's a level of following Jesus that, that you just can't get around some of the weird stuff that we believe, right? The weird stuff that this book says. All that to say is, if that comes against you, one, don't be surprised, and two, rejoice. It's okay to go through hard things. It's okay. And then jumping to verse 19, <clears throat> he says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should do what? They should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That's, that's belief, that's, that's faith. No matter what happens, you commit yourself to your faithful creator. God is faithful, he is good. You commit yourself to him and follow him and continue, press on, and he will be faithful to you. I love that he uses the word glory here. A quick note on glory. How, how does someone get, receive glory nowadays? By accomplishing something really hard, right? There's no glory where there is no suffering or hardship. What are you guys murmuring over there? You wanna share? Stupid internet things? Okay. I used to be a youth pastor, so, you know, pick on you. Ethan, you want to share? No? Okay. Um, <clears throat> there is no glory where there is no suffering. I love football. I love sports, so use that as an analogy. Why is the Super Bowl such a big deal? Because it's so hard to get there. If it was easy, if anybody could do it, there would be no glory in it. And our God is a God of glory. Anybody excited we got Russell Wilson? That dude has worked his tail off. You can't look at his life and say, oh, that was easy. Anybody could do that. No. That's why we look at him and look at celebrities and people like that with such awe and wonder because they've done something that was hard. And our God is a God of glory. We want to share in his glory. So why should we expect our faith to be easy? We shouldn't, and he never promised us that it would be easy. I mean, think about it. Jesus, following Jesus takes hard work. Loving people, one of the, the most core commands, love God and love people, loving people is hard. Have you met another person? <laughs> we're, we're hard to love. Seriously. I mean, especially married people know this. Someone was crazy enough to say that they love you and they want to spend the rest of your li their life with you. Then they really get to know you. 
I mean, you guys might think that I'm really lovable, but let me tell you, it's hard for Amanda to love me sometimes. I thought that'd be funnier. Are you... <laughs> okay. Man. Swing and a miss. Uh, <laughs> bearing each other's burdens is hard. Rooting out sin in your life is hard. When it doesn't happen right away, don't be discouraged. It's hard. It, it takes work. Having a godly marriage is hard. Raising kids to know Jesus is hard. Being single and following Jesus is hard. Doesn't mean it's bad. Following Jesus is hard, and we should expect it to be hard. Jesus regularly said that it would be hard to follow him, regularly. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up an instrument of death and follow me. He talks about this, this thing called the narrow gate. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I don't know about you, uh, for the longest time, I, I just always assumed that this gate, the narrow gate, was the gate to heaven, right? Kind of assumed that Jesus was saying, oh, well, you know, very few people will, will make it to heaven. Well, that's actually not necessarily the case. Um, <clears throat> anybody a fan of Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody? Well, yeah, okay, people raised in church mostly. I was forced to read this book in college, and it actually changed my life. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. It's a classic. It was written by this guy named John Bunyan in the 1600s, so it's a bit older. In the 1600s, it's, it's a Christian allegory. So you might start reading it and think, well, this is really strange and really boring. Um, it's too straightforward because it follows a man named Christian who leaves his hometown called the City of Destruction and is on his way to the Celestial City. And he goes on this path with different people, different characters. He walks with one guy named Obstinate, who you can guess is an obstinate person. So it's, it's an allegory, but it's very straightforward, but it's also ingeniously written. But one thing that I found so striking when I first read that book is this man, Christian, enters the narrow gate on page like 32 of a 200-page book. I was like, wait, what? what is happening here? But this is important for us to know. It, it got me to think. I want to read you a, a passage of, of this book because I think John Bunyan puts it so well. So there's a man named Goodwill at the gate, and he says to Christian, he says, we refuse entrance to no sincere pilgrim, notwithstanding all the wickedness they have done before they arrive here. Therefore, my friend, come with me, and I will teach you about the way in which you must go. Look ahead of you. Do you see that narrow way? That's the way you must go. It was built by the patriarchs, the prophets, Christ, and his apostles, and is as straight as can be. This is the only way you must go. But, inquired Christian, are there no turnings or windings by which a pilgrim may lose his way? And he responds, he says, yes, there, there are many side paths which intersect with the narrow way, but they are crooked and wide. This is how you may distinguish the right from the wrong. Only the right path is straight and narrow. So it sets Christian off on this journey. He enters the gate, which is really the gate into the Christian life. And you see what Jesus says. Jesus says, uh, narrow is the gate, 
and, and, uh, or small is the gate and narrow is the road. The, the gate opens up to the road, which is the Christian walk. And, and so this whole book, The Pilgrim's Progress, paints this picture of him walking this road to the celestial city and there's all these different pitfalls that he could take. And I wanna point out just one for you. <clears throat> it says, um, they all, he's got a few people with him walking at this point. It says, they all went until they came to the foot of the hill called Difficulty. Told you, it's pretty straightforward. At the bottom of which there was a spring. There were also two other ways beside that path which came straight from the narrow gate. One turned the le- to the left hand and the other to the right. However, the narrow way went straight up the hill Difficulty. Christian now went to the spring and drank to refresh himself and then began to go up the hill, saying this, and I love this, this is beautiful. The hill, though high, I choose to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come take heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong, though easy, for the end is woe. I love that. The difficulty of this hill does not offend me. How many of us look at the hard things in our life and say, that doesn't offend me. I'm gonna press through because I know what God has called me to. I'm gonna continue to walk in faith. I'm gonna continue to believe and know that God will lead me. It's a hard space to be in. But that's an essential part of the Christian life is to to encounter difficulty. If you know your calling, if you know what God has told you to do, you don't let things stand in your way. Obviously, unless it's the Bible. Like the Bible says, if you're hearing something from the Spirit and it contradicts this, then toss that out, okay? <clears throat> this is the most important. But he goes on and says this. He says, the two other men came to that foot of the hill. And when they saw that the hill was very steep and high and that there were two other easier ways to go and supposing that these two ways might meet again on the other side of the hill with the same hard way that Christian chose, they resolved to go those easy paths. You see, when we expect life to be easy, if that's your expectation, if that's your posture, you're always going to choose the easy path. Always. We cannot expect life to be easy. You cannot just look for the easy way out. Supposing, again, supposing that it's just gonna meet again on the other side. The only way to follow Jesus is to continue to walk, keep walking forward on the straight and narrow path, trusting that he is the one leading you. Which gets me to my second point. Stop relying on what you already know. Stop relying on what you already know. And what I mean by this is we know a lot. We're very, very educated people, right? We have the internet, so we know everything. We have a preconceived idea of who God is and how he acts and how church should be done, et cetera, et cetera. But if we just sit with that and rely on that, we're gonna miss what God has for us because God is dynamic. Jesus is a person. He's not a thing. He's not an idea. And we're called into a relationship with him. If you just rely on what you already know, you're not going to step into your relationship with Jesus, right? If I look at Amanda and say, oh, we've been married almost eight years now, I know almost everything about her. That's awesome. Uh, I probably don't need to talk to her anymore. How's that gonna work out? Our relationship's gonna die pretty dang quick, right? 
You cannot rely on what you already know. Don't toss it out, but don't rely on it. You have to build your relationship with Jesus to know him. Think about Abraham's life again, back to him. What did Abraham know? Think about it. He knew nothing. He's this random dude. He was, he was a Gentile, a pagan. His family worshiped other gods. Random guy. We don't know how this happened, but God calls him. I don't know if it was an audible voice from heaven or something, or something was clear to Abraham. Okay, this, this has gotta be God, the creator God or whatever, and he's telling me to do something. He's telling me to leave my family and go to this land. He didn't know anything. He didn't have scriptures. He had none of this. He didn't have a church body. He didn't have the people of Israel. He didn't have God's grand narrative. I mean, that's the beauty, the beauty of where we sit is we know from beginning to end. I mean, I mean, not only have we seen God at work for thousands of years and we've seen it recorded, but we have his promises. We know how the story's gonna end. We know where this is going. Abraham didn't have any of that. All he knew was the voice that was talking to him. And, and he knew that it was trustworthy. Get this, he didn't even know God's name. You ever think about that? They referred to God as the God of Abraham. And then he had a kid, and it was the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then he had a kid, and then it was the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. Like, they didn't know his actual name. That came later. God revealed himself gradually. It was a relationship. All he knew was the voice of God, and he followed. So for us, we know a lot, and that's, it's a huge benefit to us. It's amazing. But we cannot forget that we have to follow God in relationship. We have to follow Jesus, a person who's dynamic. He does new things throughout the course of history all the time. He doesn't act the same way throughout all of history. His characters and his, his qualities will always stay the same. But just because he did something in the past doesn't mean he's gonna do it the same way again in the future. We have to listen for his voice. So imagine if we just rely on what we already know and we say, oh, and I've read the Bible. God would never do that. God would never ask me to do, he, know, he, he knows me, I've been a Christian for 30 years. God would never ask me to go on a mission trip. No, that's not my thing. God would never ask me to speak on stage. Mimi did last week, that was awesome. That was really hard for her, y'all. She did awesome. She answered the call, right? Yeah. Um, but if we get in this, 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 this spot of relying on what we know and we just immediately nix, well, God wouldn't do that. We shut down the voice of God and we prevent ourselves to, to taking the next step and moving in a path that may be uncomfortable to us. And then number three, we have to keep God's promises front and center. This is imperative. This, this is so unbelievably important. You have to keep God's promises front and center in your life. If we look back to verse 10, it says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. He was confidently looking forward. 
at what? God's promise. That, that's it. He held on to God's promise. He knew what God promised him. He says, I'm gonna continue to look forward. He knew that God was building something. And you realize Abraham had no idea what God was actually building. He had no idea. He couldn't have imagined. Are you kidding me? He could not have imagined throughout the course of history. What we read in the Bible that happened to his descendants, the people of Israel, the fact that they, they grew up to millions in number, were, were rescued from Egypt by one of his descendants. Like, he could not have seen that coming. He saw the very beginning of God's promises coming to fruition, but he couldn't see, but he knew that God was doing something big. He was looking forward to a city built by God, not by him. I mean, it might be easy to think, well, God says, okay, this booming voice from heaven comes and says, okay, get up, leave your family, and go to the land I show you. You know, if it's an audible voice, it might, be, it might feel easy to follow, but he sacrificed a lot. He walks over to this land. You know, it would be so easy just to think, okay, I guess this is where I'm gonna live, so I'm gonna build my house here, and this is, this is my thing, I guess. This is where I'm gonna live. But Abraham continued to look forward to something much, much, much bigger. He wasn't looking just for the next place to live. And I think for us, we can get so wrapped up into our lives, we, we just think to ourselves, you know, what, God, what do you have for me? What, where do you want me to live next? What, what job do you want for me next? What's the next thing? What's the next project for me to take on? We can easily fall into this mindset of, God, what's the next thing for me? instead of realizing that God could be building something so much bigger than we can possibly imagine that goes well beyond our lives. And in order to do that, we have to keep God's promises front and center in our life. What I love about Abraham's posture is just that, that he expected it to be big. Didn't know what it was, but he expected it to be big. So when he got to the land, he knew it wasn't done yet. And what we see in God's promises is that his plan is way, way bigger than you. We have to get out of the me, 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 me brand of Christianity. We have to get out of that. I'm sorry, but like way, way, way too much of our Christian messaging is kind of following the ways of the culture. And it just, it's meant to lift us up, encourage us, make us feel better about our lives, or help us to discern what's next for us. You realize the Bible is way more concerned with God's overarching plan that spans thousands of years. He's way more concerned with his people. His promises go well beyond you. Does he love you? Yes. And we need to, we need to know that and rest in that and, and live as though we are loved children of God, absolutely. But God loves the whole world. It's way bigger than you. Does God promise to work all things together for your good? Yeah. Depends on how you define good, too. It probably won't work out how you want it to. But God will work it together for your good, but more importantly, the good of all creation, the good of all humanity. God is concerned with a big, big picture. Does God want to bless you? Yeah. Yeah. But more importantly, he wants to use you to be a blessing to the world. 
That's one of the promises he gave Abraham. He gave him three promises. He says, I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you descendants, and through you will come a blessing for the whole world. Now, we know that that's Jesus, but, but with Jesus comes his body. He's the head, we're the body of Christ. We're meant to be a blessing for the whole world. That's what he's concerned with. Not whether you have financial security. Not, not whether you have the perfect job or the perfect house. We have to understand that he is about so much more than just us. I'll jump ahead a little bit in this passage, Hebrews 11, verse 13. It says, all these people, referring to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that, that first big era of the Jewish people, it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. Why did they, still, why did they need to still believe? Well, they did not receive what, they, what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. How many of you think about what God wants to do in your life for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids, for your great-great-grandkids, for, for your descendants that you will never meet? How many of you think about what does God wanna do for my neighborhood 60, 70, 80 years from now? And how can I be a part of that now? That's, that's what they dealt with. They saw, okay, God is, is doing something here. He's given us these promises. He's moving us into it, but we're not gonna see the full fulfillment of this. We're gonna die. They still see it from a distance. They still see the calling, and they welcome it. I wanna call us as a church and as individuals to start thinking about our lives in God's big picture, not just about our world, not just about our kingdom, What has God called me to that's going to affect generations from now in Boulder County? What has God called Rock Creek Church to do that's not just gonna affect us for the next five to 10 years, but that's gonna impact this area, the people that, that don't even live here yet, that haven't even been born? And how do we start that process here and now? That's big faith. You notice I'm not giving a lot of specifics because I don't necessarily know them. <laughs> but when we pray, I wanna encourage us to get out of just praying for all of our requests. Our requests are good. We need, to, we need to ask God for what we need. But let's pray for something bigger. Let's pray for a move of God. Let's pray for revival in this area. Let's pray for God to bull, bulldoze down walls that were there before that, that, we seemed in, that we looked at and that seemed insurmountable. Let's pray for God to do big things and then play our role and be a part of that. <clears throat> All right, I wanna end with an analogy of a chessboard. Um, if you think about a chessboard, anybody play chess? Okay, when you start a game, does it look very exciting? No. You got a couple moves ahead of you, that's it. You get to move a pawn, that's super fun. Maybe you're knight, but if you're really creative. But every move that happens in a, in a game of chess changes the circumstances drastically. You get three moves down the line and you're presented with a brand new set of circumstances and options that never would have crossed your mind. And what also happens is choices are taken away from you as well, right? 
So walking by faith, realizing that if God's put something in your, in your heart, if God is leading you something somewhere and you take a step, you gotta expect it's gonna be hard because your circumstances are gonna change. If you're about controlling my life, controlling what I have, maintaining my control, my security, then every single move of your life is just gonna bring despair. But if you welcome change, welcome hardship, stop relying on what you already know and open yourselves up to the new things that God wants to do and cling to God, your savior, then he's going to lead you step by step by step through the game. And no matter what comes against you, there will be new options, things that you never could have seen before. And thinking about us as a church, the same thing happens. When we take a step as a church, we're gonna be presented with new opportunities that we never saw coming. And the question is, are we going to be faithful individually and as a church, are we gonna be faithful to know that, okay, our God is still leading us, we are still called to that big vision, now we get to change our steps a little bit. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story again. So this church, I was a part of this, putting this church down for after 10 months of being there. <clears throat> well, in that process, a couple things happened. Same thing, new opportunities arose. One, we actually started using a, a church's facility in the last month or so, and that church actually was in need of a worship pastor, so they offered me a job. I was really excited. I also came to find out that Denver Seminary had a full scholarship that I was really interested in. And I knew if I'm called to ministry, if I'm called to be a pastor, okay, seminary is a big step. And if, if there's a full scholarship available that God wants to give me, I have to pursue that because that's in line with my calling. So I was given these two options and uh, this church that I was working with was awesome. They were like, hey, you're a first choice. We'd love to work with you, if, but if we know if you're called the Denver Seminary, we wanna honor that and bless that. So please let us know as soon as you know about the scholarship. So the deadline passes, I, I apply. I'm supposed to know at this point, and a week passes, and the church is calling me back. It's like, hey, do you know yet? I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I don't know. They haven't gotten back to me. And then the next day, the pastor calls me up and says, Alex, we love you, um, but we just can't wait any longer. We know that God's got a calling on your life and we went ahead and offered the job to someone else. And I, I lost it. Like, I, again, I'm sitting here, I got these two options. One, the seminary thing felt way less sure because I'm like, I had to apply for that, I hadn't known yet. And this other option just fell through, fell through the floor. And so I'm sitting here wrestling, having God's forcing me to believe in him all over again. I'm like, oh God, what if this falls through next too? What do I do then? I'm getting married soon. I have no idea what's gonna happen. He let me wrestle with that for two hours and I got a call from Denver Seminary two hours later saying I got the scholarship. It's the way that God works. He's funny like that. I think he did that on purpose to make me squirm a little bit, right? Make me to trust him. But all that to say, the things that God has put in my life, I look back at my personal life and I see how God has connected the dots now but as I was going step by step by step through those things, I had no idea what was going on. And ultimately, God led me back here. I've been here on staff for five years and it's been an unreal journey. I never thought that God would lead me back to be on staff at Rock Creek Church where my faith really started. And my story is not done. I don't, I, I don't know what's next. I have no idea. I'm not planning on going anywhere, by the way. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> but, but I'm still, and looking to God and looking at the calling he's put on my life and I look at the call that he's put on our church. 
We don't necessarily know what's next. But as long as we continue to walk in faith, press into him, expect things to be hard and go through it together as the body of Christ, he's going to lead us into a, way, into a journey that we never would have expected otherwise. I'll give you one more verse. Matthew 16, 25. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For whoever wants to save their life, that means maintain, right? If, if your life's not in danger, saving your life literally means I wanna, I wanna keep my life as it is. If you wanna save your life, you're gonna lose it. Things are gonna change. But if you are willing to lose it for Jesus and say, Jesus, you can have it all, I'll follow you anywhere you lead. I'll let go of anything for you. You're gonna find the life that Jesus prepared for you. It's gonna be amazing. Let's prepare our hearts for communion and then we'll pray. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's our ultimate promise that we get to look forward is that Jesus is coming again. We proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes back. So um, when you're ready, We've got uh, communion elements at the front, both sides. Please come around the sides um, and then return to your seat in the middle. But take this as an opportunity to cling to your Savior. We follow Him. We don't follow what we've already known. We don't follow the easy ways. We don't follow the wisdom of the world. We follow Jesus. So as you come, Reflect on him, what he's done for you in the cross and the resurrection and reflect on the fact that he is moving and that he is gonna come back again someday. So Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the ways that you've spoken to us. We thank you for the calling that you've put on our lives and on our church. We thank you for your grand narrative and how you will ultimately work all things together for your good. You desire every single person to be saved, to come into knowledge of you. Please help us to cling to you and to be willing to follow you wherever you lead. No matter how uncomfortable, no, how, no matter how strange. Help us to rest in your promises and know that you are faithful. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.